everyone, and welcome to Pet Working, a podcast focused on pet care and animal health. I'm here today with Matthew Sherman, uh, SVP of Marketing at Pet Plate, uh, also uh, ex Chibani, uh, ex L'Oreal, ex Coca Cola, uh, tremendous amount of uh, expertise uh, in the CPG space, but uh, has recently uh, transitioned to the, uh, the the pet care side of things, and um, given the rise and budding trend, exploding trend of uh, fresh refrigerated dog food. Uh, Really excited to have Matt on, uh, not only because of his impressive background in the CPG space, but also uh, his perspective into the fresh refrigerated market. So we're going to be chatting with Matt today um, about the differences between marketing in broader CPG and and human consumer goods uh, versus pet care, uh, as well as his perspectives on the fresh refrigerated space. Matt, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, welcome to Petworking. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, really excited uh, that that you were able to join. Um, you know, Matt and I met uh, at, at Global Pet uh, this this spring, um, and um, you know, had a, a good chat around the fresh refrigerated space. Um, that was Pet Plate's uh, debut uh, at at Global Pet, correct? Yeah, it was. It was the first time we'd done any more anything more than really walk the show or have some meetings, and so it was really exciting for us to uh, one, you know, put together a presence, and and two, uh, get to talk to people in a less structured way where we could have interactions and just meet folks in the industry. And particularly for me, coming from outside of the industry, just getting to know more people, understanding what their perspectives were. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I mean it's a great show every year, and uh, and you guys, you know, for for first time uh, appearance and having a booth at the show, yeah, put on uh, quite quite the impression. Uh, you guys had a, a huge booth uh, right down by the new product section, um, and it put on a, a networking event in the evening. Uh, it was it definitely a um, you know a splash uh, entrance <laughs> into Global Pet. Um, it, I, Matt, you know, one of the things that, you know, struck me and and seeing, you know, you guys there is, is historically, we haven't seen a lot of the D2C fresh refrigerated players at Global Pet because it's a show targeted towards retailers. Um, but as this market has evolved, I think we're seeing, you know, kind of a blurring of channels. Um, and, you know, whereas we see, you know, Fresh refrigerated, I think, you know, when, when we think of the brands that really put a home, you know, established the space, really only one of them historically was retail, and that was Fresh Pet. And, mm-hmm. and then you have Pet Plate and the Farmer's Dog and Just Food for Dogs and Nom Nom that, that went the D to C route. And now we're seeing this crossover you know, with you in particular, uh, with D to C companies moving into the retail space. And we're also seeing brands that have historically not played in the fresh refrigerated space, giving a, a frozen refrigerated option um, for consumers to, to purchase at retail. What are your thoughts on that? You know, how do you see th- this playing out um, you know, in, in the long term? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And it's been really interesting to watch, I have to say, uh, as I think kind of omnichannel or multi-channel shopping is whatever you want to call it is kind of the natural order of things. Uh, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, people were 
talking about the death of retail and nobody is going to be in stores anymore. And uh, to paraphrase, uh, you know, the death was greatly exaggerated. Uh, and I think if you look at your own individual experience, that tracks pretty closely. Like I may buy something from Amazon or a CVS or a grocery store or a neighborhood bodega or little, you know, whatever. Um, I'm pretty agnostic uh, and I switch channels a lot. And we've been doing that for years, for decades. And D2C is a new and, and very convenient channel, uh, whether that's for pure play e-commerce or for subscription. Uh, but I think for a lot of these brands and Pet Plate included, it's really about thinking, okay, we've been able to establish this brand and establish some economics. Uh, how do we reach more customers? How do we reach more need states? How do we reach more occasions? What is the use case for independent retail uh, and independent pet versus a D2C subscription business? And how do we meet that? Because they're really very different. You know, uh, the difference between walking into an independent pet store and buying two cups of pet plate uh, from subscribing and getting 14 cups every two to three weeks uh, is, is pretty substantial. You, it's, a, it's a different kind of commitment. It's a different feeding experience. Um, and so I look at all these other brands and think, yeah, you recognize that too. Uh, I think there's obviously a growth perspective here as well, where you know some of the limits to the D2C channel uh, are becoming apparent as especially changes in Facebook dictate what we're able to do and, and how broad and how efficient you can, you can be. And uh, nobody has, has quite yet cracked the code in a post iOS 15 or 14 world, um, you know, how to be quite as broad and, and, and also as their usage and as consumer usages have evolved, you know, I think that uh, people and, and businesses are trying to figure out where else are we going? What are the other channels that we should be selling in? Um, and you're seeing that progression happen right in front of us. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. Um, you know, when you think about, obviously it's a, fresh refrigerated is a really, blossoming trend everybody's trying to jump on the bandwagon but i think you know there's still a lot of people that are hesitant that you know have not tried uh, a, a fresh or frozen refrigerated diet yet um that have not you know that are sticking to kibble feel like their wet food is enough and to convert those customers and to get them you know to try a product like pet plate um via e-com and, and digital marketing probably is more of a lift than if they're walking into their their local neighborhood pet store or PetSmart or Petco and and can see it on the shelf and say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to buy a cup of that and see if my dog likes it as opposed to, you know, getting them to do a free trial online or getting them to do a, you know, a subscription online and suddenly I've got 14 cups, you know, coming to my house and maybe my dog doesn't like it. So I I, I think that's a natural pivot. I think it's also a, you know, really insightful to kind of mention that the ability to reach people through digital marketing channels uh, as privacy laws are getting clamped down on uh, and, and information sharing is going to become more challenging. Do you anticipate, you know, you guys are, are, are sort of a first mover uh, from D to C into retail. Do you see, do you anticipate that some of your, your competitors, the farmer's dogs, just food for dog, just food for dogs, I guess, has a partnership with Petco, but do you see some of the more, Pure play D to C, fresh frozen refrigerated players following your lead and, and moving into retail at some point. Yeah, I think so. Um, I can't speak for the farmer's dog, but certainly uh, Nom Nom is in PetSmart. 
uh, Ali has started to sell on Amazon. I don't know if they started to sell their frozen and, uh, you know, we noticed when they put a barcode on their package, which is a pretty good indicator that they're uh, looking to, uh, right. to be to be sold at retail in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and I think you know, for the fresh frozen industry, there's an economics to it that you kind of articulated, um, at, at least the result of which is that it's really hard to sample and get people into the category in fresh frozen if they're not familiar, if they're using kibble, uh, and because it's really expensive to ship things frozen. Uh, you know, I can't sell you $10 worth of product and ship it for less than 25 or 30 bucks. And that is not an effective business model. Uh, you know, so trial is difficult, which is one of the reasons, honestly, that we really focused on independent pet, uh, because you tend to have more knowledgeable shoppers going into independent pet, and you tend to have the assisted sale of more not, uh, knowledgeable, consistent associates. For us, it was the obvious choice to say, hey, this is a new category. You're not entirely sure what it was. You have a behavior that you've been following, which is to say feeding kibble for however many years. Um, you know, my, I like to joke, my dog came with a free bag of kibble. It was like my gift of purchase. Um, you know, the, it was just sort of the way of the world and the idea of adding something, particularly when you're told by your vet or your other uh, fellow pet parents that, yes, you're, you know, changing foods means that you're going to upset your dog's tummy and you need to be consistent. And if they're only eating beef, they should be eating only this beef kibble and uh, eating it twice a day and what have you. Uh, having some other knowledgeable folks uh, be able to help us overcome that and also really lowering the cost of entry. Uh, you know, you can go into a PSP or an IPP or one of our independent retailer uh, stores and buy an eight ounce cup of pet plate for eight bucks. Um, now, on a per ounce basis, is that relatively expensive? Maybe, but it's also way less expensive than ordering a subscription uh, or getting a 16 or 20 ounce or uh, certainly less expensive than trying raw or freeze dried or any of the other sort of premium categories that uh, people have been drawn to over the last couple of years. Sure. And what, what's the price point for you guys on an eight ounce cup? Literally eight bucks. Uh, so it's seven ninety nine, uh, and it's something that we use. We frequently discount um, and use it as a trial driving mechanism. And we honestly, some of our most successful programs are buy a bag of premium kibble or a twenty pound bag of premium kibble and get the eight ounce half off, or sometimes for free, uh, because we find that once people try it, they come back, and the uptick is is really strong. We saw. You know, number of items that were purchased at retail, you know, per trip increased by, you know, close to 40% uh, last year. So it's just a, you know, and we feel like that is the result of consistent sampling and we have the vehicle to do it. And, and honestly, not a ton of other, even uh, primarily retail fresh frozen brands do that or have the, that mechanism. The mechanism to offer the discount along with the bag. Now, do you guys make your own? Or is it really just a small size? Uh, uh, well, we just started uh, making our first ever dry food. So we, uh, I wouldn't call it kibble. Uh, and you'll never hear me call it that. It, in large part because, you know, the process and the way that kibble is made and the process and the way that we make this uh, is about as close as sort of chips ahoy to your mother's homemade chocolate chip cookies, you know, uh, in the sense that, uh, in terms of you know, the kind of processing that even premium kibble goes through uh, and what it looks like when it comes out the other end versus what we do, uh, we have a new product called Fresh Baked. It is available in both chicken and beef uh, varieties. 
uh, and it is gently baked in sort of the equivalent uh, for you know low at, for slightly longer you know uh, for a, a, re a reasonable amount of time so that you can actually what comes out like you can actually see the inclusions you can see spinach you can see millet you can see um, berries and other things like that and we include there's uh, dried cranberries and blueberries that you get when you open the bag and you can see those inclusions and it's just a very different feeding experience to sort of brown pellets. Yeah, no, I mean, more and more every every year, I think we see more and more brands kind of looking to mimic that real food experience, um, you know, and marry it with the convenience of a, a wet food or a kibble mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, and I think that's what's driven the popularity of the the fresh frozen refrigerated trend. Now, is yeah. your is your gently cooked uh, dry in stores yet? I don't remember seeing it at, at Global. Pack. No, is that, is it, that is, it is not. Uh, it is. It is only online right now, and frankly, we're only selling it as a what we call a fresh combo uh, with our our fresh cooked and our fresh baked sold together. Uh, you you get it as a 50-50 combo. We should start selling it individually online uh, later this year, uh, and then as the economics improve, I would expect us to to bring it to retail as well in you know the coming months. But I think that's sort of one of the other advantages of having an established D2C supply chain is that we can begin to do some uh, work and testing and prove out some economics and some products uh, without necessarily running it through a full distribution channel. Uh, and one of the reasons that you know we remain a primarily D2C outlet just in terms of overall sales. But uh, yeah, we we see that as the future as well. Uh, you know, I've been coming to this uh, to paraphrase Michael Pollan. You know, we think of it as food you would recognize as food uh, as a as a human consumer, and that is a big evolution in terms of how we think about feeding our pets. To me, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that that's always been like the driving force in the industry is that you know, you pretty much can think of like. If you see a human food trend, eventually pet food will mimic it. Um, yeah. You know, you, um, but it, it's interesting. I, I wanted to circle back, Matt. You mentioned, you know, the the most effective promos that you've had would be like discounting the eight ounce cup with the purchase of a twenty pound bag mm -hmm. of kibble. Is that just general in store? You can buy any. Are there specific brands you partnered with, or um, are you doing it through the retailer? And you know, any bag of of kibble on the that they stock you you would give a discount along with or it depends a little bit uh we do partner with the retailer obviously on this one uh sometimes we'll partner with their store brand uh which tends to be you know it's a great way for us to um in, improve and increase our relationship with them uh help drive their business help drive the overall category uh, but it really depends, you know, whether or not they want to include additional brands uh, in the promo and if they're doing the, the promo and we we leave it up to them as to which uh, specific brands are included. Uh, but it goes really to the behavior, particularly for folks who are shopping in independent pet or neighborhood pet, which is that they are primarily using this as a topper um, or mix in and not as a full meal. Uh, and so beginning to sort of uh, establish like, oh, if you're buying a 70 pound or $70 bag of kibble, adding uh, a five, eight, you know, $12 onto it as a percentage that increases the excitement, 
that increases the overall uh, you know, enthusiasm and that you know, may have measurable effects on your, on your pet's health uh, is a relatively small price to pay. Um, and so we're just trying to get them into that habit and behavior uh, because we see, frankly, more and more pet parents already adopting that behavior. You know, our own research suggests that within the premium category, close to 60% of pet parents are already mixing at least two. And with people who've tried fresh, that goes up to almost three quarters. And with people who've tried fresh, you see close to 50% of people who are mixing three or more items uh, in a bowl. And so it's a, it's a real difference from you know, a, a scoop and go uh, that was sort of the traditional or you know, quasi-traditional way of feeding your pet, where you just you know scoop a cup out of the big plastic bin, dump it in, and that was your that was your day. It's, this is more like uh, we're all becoming mini chipotles. Yeah, I, I mean, I think kibble still kind of holds that that place as like the base for a lot of people. <laughs> but I, I absolutely agree. I think you know the marketing that we saw across brands, uh, you know, in this past year, it really shifted. I think people realized that trying to drive, you know, freeze dried or fresh or frozen refrigerated as like the sole component of a pet's diet was too expensive for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but mixing it in on top of a kibble, um, you know, you can vary your pet's diet. You can serve a rotational diet. You don't get them locked into one protein mm -hmm. source. Um, a lot of people look at that as preventing allergies. Um, mm -hmm. I think it, you know, it, it, it you know, as People get, you know, continue to see pets as members of the family. You know, you're not just, you wouldn't just feed your kid a scoop of kibble every day. So, you know, you want to create that variety and that, um, you know, enhanced meal experience and, and have you, pet parents are getting enjoyment out of it, you know, by seeing the enjoyment that their pets are, are getting from, you know, adding the, these novel toppers to um, their their daily kibble. And, and I'm sure some folks are, you know, actually feeding just fresh refrigerated or frozen refrigerated yeah. um, as the entirety of a diet. Um, yeah. And we, we see, a, a, even in our subscription business, a pretty solid mix there, um, particularly with our larger dogs where it gets more expensive and where they're eating more. Um, you know, if you have a Great Dane, it is, uh, you know, pretty darn expensive to feed fresh every day, uh, less so with a Shih Tzu, um, where, uh, but that notion of variety and boredom, you know, you want to talk about the humanization of pets. That to me is kind of one of the most interesting ideas where uh, the idea of eating the same thing over and over again to us is pretty anathema, but uh, for years was sort of taken for granted with your dog. Uh, and now you look at it and you're like, yeah, no, you need to eat fresher, healthier foods. You need to eat a variety of foods. Um, and you don't, it doesn't have to be all fresh uh, it, or frozen, but it, I like to think of it as like my doctor turning to me and going, you know, Matt, you should eat a salad occasionally. It would probably be good for you. Uh, you know, mix in some green vegetables. I'd like to see something uh, on the plate besides the same protein um, and, and carb, you know, and you want to mix it up and it A, keeps things interesting. Uh, and people assume that their pets want variety now and assume that their pets get bored of, like we like to say food boredom is real. Uh, and you know, it all, we also assume that it's, that it's better for them. Uh, and that is a, another trend that I think, uh, the transition has been made now from the human food world and the human world to, uh, the pet food world. Yeah. And now speaking the, the human food world and the pet food world, yeah. you, you were at 
Chobani. Uh, you yeah. were in charge of, uh, of vitamin water and at, at Coke. Um, you were, were at L'Oreal. You did uh, Garnier, I think, there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what has been like the biggest challenge for you um, coming from marketing human-focused CPG products to transitioning into the pet space? Now, you've been with PetPlate a year and a half, but correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, had not been in the pet industry before that. What's what's been the biggest shift in your in your thinking? Your, your biggest challenge? No, that's that's correct. I think uh, so. I was a I led Smart Water. The folks at Vitamin Water would get upset if they. Um, but yeah, it was a, we were sister brands. But yeah, you know, it's really interesting in the pet space because uh, it's the closest analog I have was at Chobani when I uh, led the Chobani Kids business, where you're talking to moms about things that they're going to feed their children. Um, but even then, the children had some pull and sway in that decision. So you're talking to mom as the gatekeeper, but, you know, little Timmy is like, no, I don't like strawberry. I want the blueberry or give me the mango or whatever it is. And here uh, mom is just guessing uh, as to whether her uh, her pet uh, likes this. And now uh, I think in terms of transition, it really has uh, been a very interesting shift in terms of thinking about that relationship and dynamic uh, between pet and pet parent. Uh, and what occurred to me in our early research, and we spent uh, the first thing I did when I got to the channel was like spend some time with consumers as a marketer. That sort of uh, job one is get to know who you're talking to and what's important to them. Um, and when the more time we spent with them and talked to them, uh, the more we realized how much there actually is a two-way communication between pets and their pet parents, not just over things like hey, my ball is under that couch. Could you please get it for me? Or I would really like to go outside right now. Um, But uh, around food, you know, that consumers were able to describe the happy dance that their dog did uh, when they got excited or on a food that they particularly liked was coming. Similarly, that if they served them something that the dog did not like, they were not shy about it. Um, And that, you know, went for, you know, and, and whether that was the dog wouldn't eat it, or the dog had an ups- a really upset stomach and you know they everyone paid the price for it later. Um, reading into that and understanding how that dynamic worked uh, was really interesting. And then two, um, you know, in some ways, the nature of the food business in pet, because of kind of how people have come up with like, you feed kibble, you feed the same thing over and over again. I think the barriers to change in some ways are a bit higher um, in pet than they are in consumer packaged goods where, you know, yes, I would love for you to buy a smart water, but if you bought an, you know, I'm assuming that my smart water purchases on average, if I'm the most frequently purchased, I win. You're also going to pick up an Evian or a Poland spring or a, you know, whatever it happens to be available at the airport that day when you're walking through and you're not really that worried about it. I'm trying to, whereas uh, here, um, you know, it's a very different, like you're not going to just randomly grab a different bag of kibble because that happened to be what was at the pet store that day. Uh, and you're not going to dramatically shift what you're eating. You're not going to go from, you know, eating, reg- you know, a little bit of regular yogurt to a little bit of Greek yogurt uh, and back and forth. And understanding that shift um, took a minute. 
Yeah. I, and I think, you know, it, it, it's a great point there that, you know, it kind of gets back to this idea of treating it more as a topper because it's easier to introduce that way as opposed to positioning it as a positioning it as an entire shift in your pet's diet. I mean, if you think yeah. about, you know, veterinary recommendations, um, you know, they'll tell you if you're going to switch, you know, if you've got your pet on a food that they like and that they're doing well with, keep them on it. Or, and if you're going to yeah. switch them, do gradually over a period of 10 yeah. days. And a lot of people, yeah. you know, they don't want to mess with it, but they will mess, you know, they will add that novelty. They will add the, you know, the topper, the, the mealtime experience while keeping the base the same because it's mm -hmm. not going to throw mm -hmm. off their diet. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's a, there's very much a kind of a definite broke, don't fix it mentality among uh, pet parents here, and I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't think we gain anything from trying to radically change how people think about it. And I look at competitive brands like a you know a farmer's dog, which is you know, profoundly anti-kibble, and we're like, no. Uh, the reality is that if we're going to exist with them. Uh, we know that we exist with them, and it's not about uh, changing over entirely, and it's not about beating out raw or beating out kibble or beating out bone broth. It's about existing uh, in a complementary way because we see this much more of a shared plate as the future um, where people are mixing in a variety of foods and maybe kibble remains the base. Maybe there's some uh, bone broth in there with some fresh food or some raw or freeze dried in there with some fresh food and kibble. Uh, and it's about figuring out how do we adapt to the habits that consumers already have uh, rather than trying to radically change um, how they are already feeding their dog. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it probably, it, it was interesting. I, I talked to some folks at the farmer's dog at, at Western vet this year, and they said yeah. you know, one of the huge booth at Western vet. And I was kind of surprised because, you know, they're, they're a D2C brand. And I was, I was chatting mm -hmm. with them about why, why are you guys here? And they said, you know, one of the biggest barriers to adoption for them is vets not being comfortable with a fresh raw diet and, and that needing to educate the veterinary community so that they don't lose customers when, when they have people go into their vet and they, the vet asks, <laughs> what do you feed? They say the farmer's dog and they have a negative perception of, of fresh or raw diets. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that was another thing that surprised me is, you know, if you go, you know, if you're in skincare or hair care, um, you know, if you're in skincare and you go to the dermatologist convention, they are open and they're talking about different things and they're exploring new products. Uh, but in nutrition in sort of the vet world is, and I, I mean, no offense to veterinarians by this, is, is relatively archaic. It's a little bit like, you know, human uh, doctors and uh, doctors and pediatricians uh, learned about nutrition for many years, which was like, you know, I joke that it was like a half hour class one Saturday in May. Um, you know, where there are only th about 300 board certified veterinary nutritionists in the U.S. Like that's an absurdly low number and it doesn't get a ton of uh, play within vet school. And they are, you know, if it is complete and balanced and your dog likes it, um, great. And if there's a specific condition that we need to address, well, there's several large companies that have spent a lot of money and thousands of dollars figuring out specifically what they need to put in kibble to try and address the situation. Conversely, um, you know, and another shift from the human side is that like the whole food movement and, you know, integrated eating and healing, uh, what have you is, uh, is sort of now taken for granted. Um, and I think even our human doctors are like, yeah, no, 
Um, Wonder Bread may have everything you need in it, but it's not a good source of all of your calories. You know, you probably shouldn't just have uh, Ensure shakes morning, noon, and night. What I'd like you to do is eat a varied diet, fresher, healthier foods. Um, and vets are just beginning to get into that. Even my vet, you know, there's only two things that are sold in my vet's office, and that's Hills and ProPlant. There's no conversation about like, is, should there be a freezer full of fresh uh, or, fro you know, fresh frozen food? I think so. I mean, I think it's a great thing to be able to give your your customer and think about how you set your dog up for success for the long term. Uh, but it's going to take a long time for, or, well, hopefully not that long, I guess. But uh, I totally get why why uh, farmer's dog would be at Western Vet. Yeah. I mean, it made sense to me once I talked to them about it, but, you know, having, yeah. like I said, having not seen them at most of the, you know, the retail focus yeah. shows for so long, it was like the vet, like you don't yeah. have a veterinary dog, but it, it's really all for them. It's all about the education and, and sort of shifting that mindset. Like you talked about. Um, yeah. And the other thing that I was a little bit surprised about is, you know, we look, we ask people, you know, where do you get recommendations for, food and only about 35% said vet. Um, some of them said vet tech, uh, but a lot of them, friends, breed groups, you know, breeders especially uh, have an outsized influence. And we felt like uh, those would be better places for us to spend our energy. We were gonna have more opportunity uh, to talk to dog sitter, dog walker, daycare, breeders, groomers, what have you, uh, then, than trying to break into a, a vet space um, where they've kind of been indoctrinated to some degree with the science of, of, of kibble. And, you know, to its great credit, uh, there is a lot of science behind kibble. These, you know, and these large corporations have had the time and the resources to invest in lots and lots of studies and the data is there in terms of, you know, technically speaking, what does it do and how does it work? Uh, and this, the challenge for small, smaller companies like us and these startups is like, yeah, no, I don't have 20 years of longitudinal research, nor do I have the, the cash to spend to, to engage in those trials. But Nestle has been doing this and, you know, for eons, it feels like, and they do and have. And so, um, you know, I don't necessarily have to overcome that. I just have to get the kind of common sense or conventional wisdom of if you eat better, if you eat better, fresher foods, you feel better um, and you perform better. And that sort of that's that's at the bedrock of gently cooked and, and fresher foods. Do you, I, I, there are organizations out there that that work with smaller companies to get mm -hmm. clinically proven uh, labeling you know, yeah. and, and conduct smaller scale studies so that you can add a clinically proven label. Uh, is that something you would ever see pet plate doing, or do you think it would be effective in the, uh, in the fresh frozen refrigerated space? Or do you feel like the industry is going to continue to rely on, you know, the, the continued adoption and movement of the whole food philosophy into the pet space? Uh, so we do currently, we work with a board certified nutritionist who has worked with Ronaldo, our founder, since he first was getting started cooking for his own dog. Uh, her name is Dr. Renee Streeter. She's fabulous. Uh, and uh, she now leads the nutrition practice at BSM Partners. Uh, they are one of the leading uh, veterinary nutrition practices in the US. And they do run studies for us. And we do run those studies. So be very clear, like, we run palatability, we run digestibility studies, 
Um, you know, we see our digestibility studies come out at uh, 90 plus percent digestible, whereas kibble is usually in the 70% range. Um, it is more on some of those longitudinal things of health over time and how is this affecting kind of blood chemistry. Uh, those are the those are the things where we don't have the time and energy to invest, um, you know, just because we haven't been around long enough to 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 make that happen. And yes, we absolutely, uh, you know, talk about that all the time. Our founder Ronaldo is an MIT trained physicist. Science and the data is what is far more important to them than my marketer's emotional brain. Uh, and so, uh, he he is his yeah he is very driven. Uh, to continue to do that. And, uh, you know, I expect that to become more and more a part of what we do uh, as we grow, um, because I know that there is a vested interest uh, in having the data, uh, whether that's for vets or just for us to feel comfortable that we're doing the right thing on an ongoing basis. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it Kind of again, looking, uh, you know, as we wrap up here, Matt, um, looking again to the the future of the the fresh frozen refrigerated market, and you know, seeing these trends and and you know, more of the, having more time and more data and, and increasing levels of adoption. I know in the early days, a big challenge for a lot of brands getting into this space was distribution, but uh, you know, and, and setting up a supply chain and, and finding distributors that were willing to invest in, you know, if you had a true fresh refrigerated product in, in refrigerated trucks where the product wouldn't be frozen and wouldn't get too hot and um, investing in, in cold chain distribution and, and keeping products frozen. Um, now that we're seeing so many brands pile into the space, do you see kind of barriers to entry dropping as distributors like Philips and Animal Supply Company have more companies that they work with that are utilizing this medium and so it becomes a more standardized uh, distribution supply chain network, um, makes it easier for, for other companies to get in? Yeah, so that is a still a very relevant and somewhat complicated question, uh, right? So I think that the enthusiasm is there on all parts. I think the infrastructure uh, is still lagging behind, which is to say, you know, the whether it's a freezer and a distributor or whether it's a freezer and an independent pet store, those are the sort of the two key things that you need to make this work and you need the space. This is not just sort of trading out a bag of kibble uh, on an inline shelf. So. Uh, for us, uh, you know, part of the conversation with the Philips and the ADMCs of the world who are our partners uh, on the distributor side is, all right, what can we offer? How are we going to be effective? How are we partnering with freezer manufacturers? How are we thinking about uh, the economics of this long term? You know, I uh, also as a small company and, and, and as most, you know, can't afford to put 3,000 freezers uh, on my expenses this year. <laughs> Uh, first of all, my CFO would be very upset, uh, but also, uh, also it's, they're not there, you know, so uh, that is kind of the lag that is building and honestly, one of the more interesting lags between, um, you know, independent and specialty pet and say, um, uh, food mass drug where, uh, you know, fresh pet overcame this in all channels by essentially becoming a refrigerator company. Right, they bought, owned, uh, and placed, and you know, for they they managed to install a base in most stores that are selling pet food, uh, and that's a big win for them. But was a real focus uh, for many years, and for us, 
uh, you know, I don't think we have that kind of time, one, because uh, there are many other competitors jumping into the space. And I think there's a, a bit of a gold rush mentality. Uh, and two, uh, you know, because freezers actually tend to be more expensive and harder to operate than fridges. Um, but I don't think that that's going to be a barrier for that much longer. I think what we've seen is the installed base of freezers uh, beginning to expand. Uh, I think what's going to end up is, you know, you're going to have, you know, somewhere between three and five brands in the category max. Uh, you'll have a couple of your legacy players, your Stella and Chewies who've gotten into the business, or your instincts who've gotten into the business, your nature's variety, I should say. Um, and then, you know, we've got a couple of other either traditionally retail or uh, initially B2C businesses, uh, and you're going to be looking for some differentiation. Uh, and that a lot for us comes down to that feeding experience. And, and honestly, is where we think one of our biggest advantages is, is in the cup versus the plastic bag. Because when you think about this as a topper, which is what it is in most of these retail outlets, uh, the plastic bag kind of sucks. Uh, I hate to, there's, <laughs> there's no, there's really no, no two ways about it. And yes, I am totally biased, but the, the reality of the experience is that, you know, we offer a fully curbside recyclable cup. You open it, you scoop, you seal it, you store it. It stacks easily in the fridge. It doesn't make a mess. Uh, and it's literally designed for multiple uses, just like a 16 ounce container of yogurt or cottage cheese or sour cream. And, you know, the way that we as as consumers uh, have adapted to that uh, is another behavior that we don't have to change and another idea that we don't have to uh, break. Uh, and it's, we consistently see uh, that it's one of the reasons that consumers switch to us, even if they don't start to us with us, is because one, we've got a good variety, but two, we're really easy to use. Yeah, no, I mean, that user experience is so crucial. I mean, I think the, you know, the, the industry standard right now of the frozen block, um, yeah. you know, that, you know, in the sous vide bag or whatever, whether yeah. it's from Wellness or Stella and Chewy, that's yeah. the standard, you know, you have the cup. Um, I thought it was interesting at Global Pet, um, Spot Farms came out with a bag with individually frozen pieces. I don't know if you saw that <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, I've seen, you know, they have, and Blue Moon has come out, I think the bag, of sort of frozen um, bits, I guess. Uh, like I think they're all just IQF and mixed together uh, is the closest that we've seen to that. It tends to lack a little bit of the moisture and sort of the gentle co cohesion. Um, but from a user perspective, definitely easier to, uh, I guess, scoop that out and you know, or, or put that in your fridge until until you're done with it, uh, so that it defrosts uh, that way. Uh, I think that those are the sorts of things where, you know, you're going to begin to see that evolution. And I'm sure, look, I'm sure that within the neighborhood pet channel, uh, as this business expands, you're going to see a lot of things that uh, similar evolutions to what you saw in the human food channel, right? So, um, you know, at first it was just, you know, natural or less processed and then organic became the thing, uh, organic plus non-GMO sustainable or, you know, uh, regenerative agriculture based or fully, you know, like there's a, as we, as the sort of um, the overall curve shifts from to better for you, the brands that are kind of at the bleeding edge are going to continue to get more better for you, I guess. Um, and so 
you know, I would assume that among those three to five, you'll have a couple of sort of mainline high velocity players. And then you'll have people who are like, you know, all GAF certified meats and, you know, all organic vegetables picked from regenerative farms by a man named Carl. Um, you know, there's a, like, it's a, a and, and there will be an audience for that. There is an audience for that. There are people who are like, I don't want to feed my dog anything that I want, would want to put in my body and on my body is a temple. And I'm like, you know, my body is like a quick service restaurant. Like I like to get some good food in it, uh, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, so, so religious about the, uh, what goes in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, you're already even starting to see, you know, uh, evolution towards you know different forms of convenience and in, in, you know the the advent of shelf stable fresh um mm -hmm. you know with uh hermetically portland pet uh company had a hermetically sealed bag with all natural ingredients no preservatives and um i think you, you kind of can see the category segmenting between you know frozen refrigerated um fresh refrigerated a la fresh pet where it's not frozen, but there are preservatives. And then uh, we started to see this intro of the, the shelf stable fresh, um, you know, akin to, a, you know, a yeah. bag of microwavable rice, so to speak. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, yeah. And it, the evolution will go both ways, sort of, you know, if you have your regenerative sustainable, and then you'll have your clear bar, you know, uh, I worked in between Chobani and here I worked in eggs. Right. Uh, and they're a great example uh, of how that works. So you have your standard or, you know, white shell eggs, and then you have your cage free, and then you have your free range, you have your free range organic, you've got your pasture raised, your pasture raised organic, your regenerative sustainable, your blue eggs, you know, like, and it just goes from sort of your base to, to you know, a $10 a dozen of eggs. Um, and I expect the same thing as this continues to evolve and mature. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. And, you know, I, I think it's it's very exciting to see, you know, companies like Pet Plate pushing the evolution and and giving more good quality food options for for pet parents to try and, and hopefully adopt. Um, so we definitely will look forward to um yeah, are you guys going to be at SuperZoo uh, later this summer? Yeah, we will be at SuperZoo later this summer. Um, if you did not see us at Global Pet, please come on by. Uh, it will look pretty similar uh, to uh, our Global Pet show with a, a different kind of an activation that we're going to uh, hopefully be able to pull off this this go round. Uh, but yeah, really excited to be there and and very excited to be a part of this community. Honestly, one of the other things that um, you know was a very pleasant surprise, I suppose, was how close-knit the pet community is, how warm and generous they are. Uh, you know, I had come from big CPG more recently, the natural channel and CPG, uh, and it's a very similar vibe, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's a great space to be. Um, we love being here, and we'll look forward to seeing you uh, at, at SuperZoo. Um, Matt, well, Pet Working will also be at um, the uh, Pet Sustainability Coalition's uh, Impact Unleashed uh, conference next week. I don't know if, if you're, you guys are going to be there or if folks uh, from Pet Plate will be there, but... I don't think so. I'd have to check with our product team. They may be headed out there. Uh, I am not, unfortunately, but it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, well, we'll definitely catch you at SuperZoo then and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you in Vegas in August. And um, until then, we will uh, keep in touch. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to appear on Pet Working today. Yeah, pleasure was absolutely mine. Thank you so much, Peter. And yeah, Vegas in August, nothing finer.
I'm looking forward to the 100 degree heat. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot nicer in yeah. February. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, right. I can only imagine. Yeah. Thank you so much. A big difference. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great day. And uh, thank you, everyone. This has been another episode of Pet Working. Peter Kenseth signing off. Mm-hmm.